Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Hello and welcome to Network Automation Nerds Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and a whole lot more tech technology topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today on the show, we'll be talking to Matthias Proko, Principal Architect at Natalink. I've talked to Matthias on several occasions about his interesting journey in technology, and I'm really excited to talk to him about his personal stories and some of the unique challenges and interesting stuff for working for a high-profile value-added reseller. So let's dive right in. Matthias, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, so you're based out of UK. So I'm a, across the uh, the Atlantic Ocean in the US. In fact, I'm on the other side of, of the US. So it's good to be, uh, you know, virtually seeing you again. Yeah, it's uh, it must be like a morning time for you, right? It is morning time, but uh, but I'm a morning person. So I've been up for uh, a couple hours now. So. Oh, so right. hopefully Thanks. I'm not like sleepy and, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, no, still, sure. still, yeah, still being awake. So Matthias, first of all, I know I'm not saying your name as good as it should be. So can you just pronounce it correctly for us? I can try. I can try. Every time people ask me, you know, how my name is pronounced, I'm like sort of thinking how it's actually pronounced. <laughs> uh, so uh, my name is Matthias Prokop. That's, uh, okay. that's, 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 that's my name. But like, you know, please call me Matthias. It's just way easier for everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm not one of those people who like complain that people can't pronounce their name. Uh, I'm not <laughs> one of them, you know, I'm fine with it. Don't worry. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So it's like me with my last name. So I pronounce it one way, my family pronounce it one way, but you know, everybody else, as long as I know you're talking to me, you're good. Exactly. And that's like, you know, about that pronunciation, right? Like, you know, if, even like people not pronouncing it right, but they're like pronouncing it consistently, like, you know, the same way. <laughs> at least you right. know, you know, they, they're calling you. That's, that's why I find out it's way easier for everyone to call me like, you know, Matthias, because I know they call me, you know, they call my name. For them, it's easier to pronounce it. So uh, it's just easier for, for everyone. That's a good point. So even if you're wrong, if you're wrong, like consistently, you're good. Exactly. 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 Yeah. <laughs> nice. That, that's I think that applies to so many other aspects of life too. Yeah, like, I think so. Yeah. Like, Let's like, not go uh, there. Let's not go yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, no, you know, I remember when I first arrived in Seattle like 12 years ago, um, they were like, yeah, there was a big fire in, um, in downtown Seattle. And instead of like rebuilding, they just decided to cover everything up and build on top of it. Right. So if you've ever been to Seattle, it's like, it's like so steep and it's like 45 degree angle and your car will have a hard time going up and down. So you and then other parts would be pretty flat. So it's like, yeah, you know, even if we're wrong, we're just going to go full steam ahead and, and just be that wrongness. And eventually, you know, we'll sort it out. Nice. Nice. Next time when I will be in the Seattle, uh, you definitely need to take me around. So Matt says, um, before we go into, you know, VARs and Cisco networking automation, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get started in tech and what's your journey like up to this point? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, yeah, so where, where I'm going to start, I think I'm going to start with like first computer probably, <laughs> like everyone. Uh, so there was like yeah. uh, when, yeah. when I was uh, 10 years old, I think, you know, Windows 3.1 all this kind of stuff. So there's oh my been God. like 1990, 1996 or something. 
Uh, and uh, right. that's that's where it all started, I think. You know, just like playing around with it. Then obviously, like you know, installing and playing the first new games. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember, like for me, what most exciting part was always to like setting up that machine and configuring the machine, and then like you know, you know, bringing the friends with their computer and just playing the games and configure the network between the computers. That was probably like the first time. Uh, when I was like doing something around like networks and networking, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so that was that, that was it, and that sort of kind of like grew on me. Like I remembered the whole like elementary school, which in our country is till like you were fifteen. Uh, you know, I have my mates, and you know, we were just like exchanging games on the floppy disks. Um, internet arrived into our small town. Uh, which was mm-hmm. like a big thing. I still remember that was like 1998, I think, or 1999. So we, you, you know, we had this one guy in town who was basically like providing the internet, so you could pop in, just visit him, you know, and you would pay the money, right. and you could go on the internet. So uh, right. it was brilliant. It was dial-up, you know, it was slow, but uh, I still remember, like, you know, me and my dad when we went and, and see, like, uh, at that time, it was like the the first. What was the was the rover on a Mars? There was like one of the first ones, like you know, what what arrived on Mars. And I remember like it was also the first ones which was like sending the pictures back to the Earth, and uh, they were like you know publishing all these pictures uh, on the internet. So I still remember like you know me and my dad, we were like going to this place and just like pay for sixty minutes of the internet, some insane right. amount of money. And just like going <laughs> for the pictures, you know, and I was kind of like, "Wow, this is how it looks on Mars. This is unbelievable." Um, yeah, not not just the money, right? But because these are high resolution pictures, so usually it takes a long time to download oh, yeah. from a download yeah. link. Yeah, so you can imagine how long it take, you know, on the on <laughs> on, on on the dial up. But uh, yeah, that's 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 where it all started, I think. And then you know, the modem. So it was like end of nineties. So we, you know, my parents you know, pay loads of money to get us the internet in the end of the 90s. Uh, and I think that was sort of the breaking point, you know, suddenly like, you know, what it opens for you, the community, uh, you know, the information, all the stuff you can do uh, is just amazing. So I think, you know, end of the 90s was like sort of the breaking point uh, for me. And then it's all started like, you know, with uh, with the business, which we, or like not really the business, but the nonprofit organization, we set it up later. Um, so yeah, that was that was probably the start for me. Yeah, no, that's a that is a very interesting start because I remember me doing the same thing, except it was with like Nintendo. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was much uh, much less, I guess, um, uh, much less uh, you know pro- uh, progressive. I guess you know I'm just there playing video games, but you were there you know, looking at pictures from bars and, uh, you know, enjoying the internet age. So, so that's cool. Um, you mentioned, and we, we talked about this previous, uh, in our prior, prior conversations, but you mentioned starting a business and, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I think like, you know, business, it's kind of like a s- strong word, at least like, you know, at the beginning <laughs> when we were like, you know, establishing this maybe a little bit like overstatement what we were doing at that time. But uh-huh. uh, when it was uh, when I was fifteen uh, and I finished my elementary school, I went to the high school, and uh, I remember my like summer holidays between the elementary school and the high school. 
that's where I, and I don't know how that happened. Uh, it was just by some accident. I just had a, like, you know, more time, more spare time. And uh, I found out about Linux. Um, mm -hmm. I still remember that. Um, I was like 15 and it was like first time. That must have been, yeah, beginning of 2000s. So it was like end of 90s, beginning of 2000s. And it was the first time I've like heard about the Linux. So uh, I remember like, you know, uh, the first time I've installed Linux, I didn't even know it's like the operating system. I thought it's, it's, it's just some like app you install on your, on your computer. So <laughs> uh, I just like insert a CD, you know, and uh, there was like my parents' uh, computer. My dad was like doing some work on it. And I basically like reformated the whole computer, like everything was gone. And right. uh, I installed <laughs> Linux. And, they they uh, must have been happy about that. Yeah, definitely. Like my father, you know, my parents were cool. Like I still remember that. Like you know, my my dad was just like uh, he was like you know uh, yeah that's fine. You know, I guess I lost like you know loads of uh, documents, but can you please at least fix it <laughs> and put, put put the windows back on the right right this computer? So for me, it was kind of like lesson as well how to install the windows again. Uh, right. So it was like my first experience. But then when when I sort of like figure out how to dual boot. And having like a Linux and a Windows on the same machine, I started like a little bit going deeper on the on a Linux machine, right? Uh, on the Linux, like the operating system, and then then like you know like when I mentioned the games with my mates, so it was usually like you know we were playing the like computer games, so we had like Warcraft two at that time and Starcraft mm -hmm. and all these kind of like cool games, and uh, right. we had the like once in the especially during the summer, like once in a week, we always ask our parents to like load the computers. And just go to friends' place, and we were playing like over the weekend, you know, playing just like computer games and, and stuff, and it was always good fun. And uh, our parents got a little bit annoyed by that and, and tired. They were kind of like, you know, we're not going to be taking you like every week, you know, and all this stuff. Just, just like you know, guys, like stop doing it every week. Just do it like once in a two weeks. And uh, then we had this kind of like idea, you know, to uh, play play stuff over the over the wireless so uh you know we that time uh with uh, some of the other guys uh we started to building like the wireless network in our in our hometown uh mainly like you know around playing the games so uh you know at that time we didn't have the money it was like all expensive we were just the students uh from the small village so uh we like you know bought the can of like some fruit I don't know even what was it. You just like eat it and then you have the empty can. So like you make the uh, antenna from the can. Uh, you are like, you know, like, you know, that's like your sort of like endpoint antenna for your house. That right. which you have to like change every like three weeks because it's just getting rusty. And when it's the antenna rusty, <laughs> it's obviously not working very well. Uh, right. And then like, you know, the, the omni antennas with like basically cutting the coax cable in a pieces and just like you know, putting it all together, and you have you basically yeah. like a line of the antenna, uh, right. and you put it into the like a plastic top, top, and the, you put it on the roof, and it's basically your access point. So that's how we started, like in our in our small town, uh, you know, playing the games, uh, and then you know, one of one of our friends, he uh, got the internet, he got the ISDN, I think it was at the time. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, exactly. Very fast. So uh, he was like, you know, <laughs> maybe we can figure out how to share it. So uh, that's where right. like all these like Linux uh, skills, which I sort of like, you know, uh, find out when I was like 15. This was like, I think we started this like when I was 16 or 17. 
So uh, that's that's where like you know all these skills just got handy. So I was kind of like, yeah, sure, you know, I can do masquerade. You know, I, I know like how the IP tables works and all this stuff. So uh, we just got some like old computer somewhere, and that was our like first centrally router through which one we were routing all the traffic uh, for the whole network. Right. And that's that's how we like established the business. Uh, it wasn't really <laughs> business, you know. Uh, and then it's just like start growing. You know, there's been more and more people connecting. Uh, more access points in the town. Uh, we started to uh, obviously needed more internet, so we just decided that we're going to share the cost for the internet. So we had a like you know shared connection. Uh, it was broadband, so it was like 2002, 2003, I think. And as you can like you know, I don't know mm. like you know how it was in the US or in China at that time, but like you know in the in the Europe, in Czech, in the Central Europe, like post-communist countries, like broadband in wasn't available too much till like let's say 2004 2005 so when it was like right. 2002 or 2003 you had the connection which was like constantly connected into the internet that was like unbelievable right. like you know you didn't pay for the time you just you just had it <laughs> you know you just had the internet yeah. connectivity so suddenly like you know all these kind of like how-to guides about how to configure linux like you had it all the time available so like you haven't been you know it was it was just great um so yeah then it was like you know less playing the games and more about like you know studying and uh building the network and making sure it works and uh it was good fun and it was at that time it was never business we right. never uh took any money we haven't been paid we were just kind of like collecting money from people uh it was just like small small fee we've asked people to to provide and then we shared the cost for the internet connection so we were doing it just for fun we didn't even expect, like, you know, now when I'm looking at it, it's kind of like, you know, that's how that's what defined my my career. Like, you know, I, I just I just like, you know, I, I I really do like networking and you know everything around the automation and all this stuff. At that time, I didn't really think about it this way. You know, I just found like, you know, I had good guys around me. It was fun. It was like climbing on the roofs. Uh, it was sitting behind the computer in the evenings, and it was just like playing with the Linux. So I didn't really think about it like, you know, it should help me at some point or it's going to be like a great reference for the future. But right. uh, it showed up in all, you know, after all those years, it, it was a, it was a great, great start. And, you know, not many people were lucky uh, like I was that they could start their, their career like I was. Yeah, no, it, it's completely fascinating to me, right? Like, you know, for me, you know, for, um, as you mentioned, right, like, the always on broadband was just a game changer. Um, and and I, I would echo that. It's right about the same time, about like 2000 to 2002. Uh, you mentioned 2004. So that's right about the same time as broadband took shape in the US. Because mm-hmm. I, I know because I built the broadband, right? Like that was right. one of the first um, larger um, ISP exposure that I had. So I remember at the time, um, you know, there was a, there was an area of the market where people don't want to move to. So it was basically California deserts. I was in the California at the time. I graduated from college like two years after uh, two years prior, and I was working for a second tier ISP. But I was doing very much what you were talking about, like uh, not so much ISDN expansion. I, I I don't think ISDN ever took off in the U.S. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a niche market. If you need, you know, more than 128k then you get you know a couple of b channels but mm-hmm. um 
but it was more like T1 installation and then gradually it was DSL. Um, and then that was right around the time you were, you were describing. So, you know, um, so I, I raised my hand, I was young and I, I didn't have any family uh, or, you know, uh, kids for sure. So it was like, okay, I'll move out there to the California desert and we start building out the uh, cable broadband. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was an interesting time and uh, we couldn't get, roll it out fast enough. People were just like, literally, so we will publish these notes where we say, okay, now broadband's available in your area. And then we mail out these flyers right. and say, hey, you could take, take out the broadband. And we had take rates for, uh, you know, 30, 40%, you know, mm-hmm. um, and which is unheard of um, at the time. Um, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was interesting time. As you mentioned, this was a game changer, but I am so jealous of you to get started in yeah. such an interesting no, way. It was, yeah, it was, it was great. I, I have such a good memories and, you know, we're still in touch with the, with the guys, obviously like, you know, everyone has families now. So uh, I sort of like, you know, stepped down from the day to day stuff in the, in the company, but still, you know, staying in touch and like, from time to time giving some like advisors advices and stuff like this so i'm still involved it's just not that direct anymore uh and you know they're just like new generation it's it's, it's great like you know there's just like next generation of the guys uh in a younger age who just want to learn the new stuff uh but uh obviously like you know it's it's a slightly different time i think we were lucky you know we were at the at the beginning of it so uh that's that's what i like you know that's why i like those memories you know it was like so new uh, the generation nowadays, you know, they they just see it as the, which is fair enough. Like, you know, they see it as the opportunity on, you know, having something like good on their CV, uh, mm-hmm. because that's going to help them, like, in the future to get a better jobs and stuff. Which is like fair enough, you know. It's uh, it's definitely, you know, it helped me. So uh, why wouldn't you know help to help other other people as well? So um, yeah, it's been it's been a great journey. I still you know, have a very fond memories of it. Uh, and it created some like great friendships uh, and great memories in my life. Yeah, I mean, you can um, you can teach large scale and you can teach exposure. So you know, it's one thing to read about it in books, but it's another to actually you know in the trenches where you know you can read about how the wires were were uh, should be connected, but until you need to make that cable yourself to to like. Yeah. You know, sort out exactly. The, the kids, then, and in, in um, our case, it was, yeah. In our case, it was even more complex because we were starting on a two point four, and right. at that time, two point four was quite reliable. So it was like beginning of two thousands. You know, two point four was okay, yeah. uh, and we were like, you know, I remember. I think the longest path we were shooting was like around six or seven kilometers, which was like mm-hmm. insane on a two point four. Like you know. You can't, you know, you you can't imagine like you know you would be doing this like nowadays. It's just yeah, it, would, it wouldn't happen. Like you can barely do it on like you know twenty meters in your flat. Not even yeah. mention like you know across the hall, like between the two cities. So right. uh, yeah, the challenges then then just like you know start growing. Like you know two point four start being like you know widely used. Uh, we at some point we were sort of like saying people do not turn on any APs in your home <laughs> because it's just like creating the interferences. But like, obviously right. this is not sustainable. Like, you know, you can't tell people like, you know, in the whole town, even though we're right. a small town, we're like, you know, 4,000 people. You can't just tell everyone like, you know, do not turn on your APs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we started to moving into the five gigahertz and, you know, more advanced uh, links. Like we were actually building uh, the... Uh, it wasn't infrared, 
it wasn't laser. It was like, you know, it was basically like a, like, yeah, but maybe it was infrared. Yeah, maybe I think it was infrared. Yeah, it was the infrared link. So mm-hmm. we basically like soldier it. Like, you know, we like, you know, we bought like all the components and we yeah. were building it. Uh, you know, we build the optics. We will, we build the tubes for it. Uh, and like, you know, again, amazing. Like, you know, when would you ever in your life build like optic link? Uh, yeah. when, when would you do it? Like, you know, at that time we were just students, we had a mm-hmm. time, you know, we really loved what we were doing. So we were kind of like, and we had some money and it wasn't too much money. So we didn't have a feeling like, you know, we're like throwing out the money for like nothing. We said kind of <laughs> so like, it wasn't you know, like serious A funding or, you know, yeah, no. Act. No. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Okay. Not at all. It was like right. really like, I can imagine now it could be like a few hundred quid, a few hundred pounds. For yeah. uh, for paying all these you know components, uh, and then it was like basically weeks of like you know getting it working, uh, and then I remember like you know we had the optic links. I have still somewhere the pictures when we were like testing it. It didn't work very well because we're like you know our town is like on top of the hill, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we have very foggy uh, autumns and the springs. Like mm-hmm. very, very foggy. Usually like driving into our town and you're good, good, good. And then you like start going up into the hill. And it's mm-hmm. certainly like, you know, it's like you can't see even like, you know, on the five meters. So uh obviously that for the optics, uh that's not that's not very good. So uh yeah, at the end like it didn't work very well. But again, <laughs> great great experience, great fun. Yeah, wireless is always tricky. I remember um so we, when I was working on the broadband network, you know, it was uh, it was a, a hybrid network, but we were using um, license spectrum, but we were enclosing it into a closed system, so mm-hmm. that was okay. But if we ever, but there there are guys, uh, techs, who's whose part of their job is actually to go out and measure if there was any signal leak, because if there was any kind of signal leak and it uh, overlaps with say the police or the uh, paramedics spectrum, then that's all hands on deck, right? You gotta, you gotta um, go find that leak and then stop it immediately. Like, doesn't matter what you're on, you're just going to go. So it's always very tricky for me and I'm quite scared of it, right? Like I, um, um, I don't understand like the, the curvature of the earth or like, you yeah, know, maybe, yeah. uh, when birds fly by or so, um, so I don't have too much exposure to it, but um, but it sounded like you guys were just, you know, at a young age, you guys were experimenting and you guys were providing a service, the useful service for your community. So that felt good and yeah. uh, propel you uh, to prolong your interest in the field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that community, that's that's probably the better word to, to use yeah. for, the, you know, for what we were doing. We were really always the community and we were making sure that, everyone knows it so you know there has been sometimes people who were like complaining about like you know the internet doesn't work how it should be you know fix it (laughs) fix it fix it and we were like guys like you know we're you know we're on a high school we're students like you know we will fix it like when we will get home you know you're paying like very you know and we usually it was it was like fair argument like you know because like we told them like look you're paying such like you know small money like right. yeah, it maybe doesn't work on in the morning, but in the afternoon we will fix it. So just like hold on. Uh, right. So people like you know people starting to understand that as well. And then you know I think what uh, some of the people from the community did was great as well. We obviously starting to bringing people who haven't been like geeks like us, 
so yeah. they've seen that community from like a different perspective so it actually started becoming more of like a platform how to build a community in our town uh mm-hmm. which was like amazing you know to see that suddenly because we had a funds you know we had a money and uh we were like very precious about that money like we were really spending it where it was needed always right uh, right. and we were like fully transparent so everyone could see like, you know, where the money goes from, from the community. Uh, right. but people sometimes, you know, had an idea about like, you know, what if we gonna like, you know, organize some concert. So we were organizing the concert, which was mm-hmm. like, you know, this kind of like a popular band at that time uh, in our <laughs> yeah. country. And the, yeah. basically the whole like highway, uh, collapsed because oh. there's been like so many people we were basically saying like we were organized the gig and it's going to be for free for everyone like yeah. anyone can yeah. come and uh we didn't expect that when we will do it uh yeah. the basically half of the proc uh will arrive so uh yeah there's been suddenly like you know influx of like people driving from Prague to our like small town so right. the pol- police wasn't very happy you know police was basically saying like look guys <laughs> it's such a great idea but next time probably you should tell us so we're ready for this <laughs> right uh, so it was like you know or like you know we were helping to funding the hockey study and you know and and things like this in our town so you know loads of like great uh things came out of the community not just the internet and not just like you know giving that sort of the uh freedom to access the information uh, which was important, I think, and that's what we were trying to provide to people in our town, uh, but also like you know building something in our town and helping to improve that city or town. It's not a city; it's it's a town. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was it was it was great, you know. And you suddenly, you know, it was it sort of like expanded you to sort of like what is actually possible, and you know how this sort of community can grow and what right. challenges it has. Uh, so you know, it was the it was a great lesson, great experience for a lot. Yeah, I agree. It, it was just kind of funny. It's like, hey, guys, I, I need a hall pass to go to the bathroom, right? Like, you expect me to go home and fix the internet for you? Yeah. <laughs> There's no ticketing system. There's no, like, you know, rolling the truck tag. Yeah. It was just me and my friends. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that that is, that's, that's a great story. I mean, every time... I could tell people about it. I would, I would totally encourage people to hear that story because it signifies such a um, empowerment, right? Like in, in the microcosm, it's like, you know, that's what um, technology or that's what knowledge enabled you to do at such a young age, um, and you feel such an empowerment that um, it just like, you know, there's nothing compared to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. I uh, no, no, no. I, I was just, I was about to say, like, you know, it's. Uh, I totally agree, and it's. You know, for like, you know, for the future in my life, it was like very important memories, you know, like, you know, you know, that sort of kind of like moments when you're like pushing through and, you know, something doesn't work. And, and uh, I think what, mm. what I've learned in those, it's, it was always kind of like, you know, if you're pushing hard, you just like, you know, it's going to work at some point, you just need to push it through. Uh, and that's, 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 that's what I learned, you know, there's been obviously like loads of like challenges and hard work we've done. Uh, but I think at that age, you just sort of kind of like don't really realize it. And if you learn that in that age, you know, it's uh, it's way easier to find those skills, you know, when you are like older. I don't want to say like, you know, I'm old, not at all. But, you know, when, when you sort of like, you know, older and uh, uh, that's when those skills like are, are getting handy and that mindset. Yeah. No, I'm old. You're, you're relatively <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, so from there, you know, you, 
um, so obviously you 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 have to get a real job. That was a community. It paid for the concert. It paid for all the other stuff, but it wasn't paying you know for your mortgage or whatever future expense you have. So yeah. So what happened afterwards? So uh, afterwards, so when I was in the high school, uh, I was studying high school, which was focused around the computers. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that high school was rubbish. I didn't like it at all. Uh, <laughs> it was just. Uh, I wasn't. Very, tell tell I, us how you really feel, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I will say it was. It was just horrible. It was. You know, okay. it wasn't definitely. You know, great four years. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, okay. But again, like you know, it was a great lesson for life. You know, that sort of you like you know you have to push through. So you know, I had the but you know I had the community back at home. So like you know, in the evenings and long nights, I was working on stuff which I enjoyed. During the day, right. I was doing stuff which was kind of like you know useless, and and people were like you know kind of weird. So uh, it wasn't great four years on the high school, but I sort of like, you know, make it through, made it through uh, very closely. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then I started looking at the at the, you know, where I'm going afterwards. Uh, and I don't know, like, you know, it was always sort of like not really expected in my family. Like, you know, my parents never really like pushed me or like, you know, tell me like, you know, you are going to the uni. But right. it was always sort of kind of like, yeah, you know, it was probably expected a little bit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it would be like surprising in a family if I would say like, you know, I'm not going. Right. Um, and I did I did want to try it. You know, I, I did want to give it a go. Um, mm-hmm. I was, you know, I didn't feel like, you know, I don't want to go. Even though I was like four years at, in high school, which I didn't like. But I just mm-hmm. like felt like, you know, the uni could be different. Um, so I started to looking and... Uh, I did some like tests and all this stuff, and I got the accepted into three unis, uh, which mm-hmm. was quite surprising. So I, you know, I could like pick and choose, nice. uh, and uh, I chose the one which was the easiest one. Uh, <laughs> it, it was just kind of like you know, I felt like you know, I'm not really study, you know, I'm, I'm not really good yeah. student. So I was kind of like you know, why pretend I can go to the because they I got accepted even into like you know more like uh, prestigious one in Prague. Right. Uh, but I was kind of like, you know, I don't have to like, you know, talk to myself, like, you know, saying like, you know, you're a great student, you're going to do it. You know, when I know I'm not going to do, I'm not going to make it. So uh, I decided for like the, the easiest way and went to this uh, uni in a, in a town, which is like probably third size, maybe even less. No, it's like 10 size of Prague. So like, you know, a hundred thousand people, very small, very small town uh, in compared to the U.S., uh, and a uh, kind of nice, nice uni in there. Uh, so I went there uh, and started studying IT in there, uh, mm-hmm. which went, I think it went better than the high school. I kind of like it. I, I love the town. I love these sort of like, you know, small student town, you know, loads of yeah. like, fun around. Uh, and uh, I met my, my flatmates, uh, which was like so much fun. They were studying sports. <laughs> Uh, so they were like very different from me. I was doing, yeah, which I didn't mention. I was doing athletics the whole high school, uh-huh. uh, and the part of the elementary school as well. So I was doing quite loads of athletics, um, mm-hmm. all at that age, you know, very, uh, very dedicated for it. I had like usually like six days a week, uh, training. Oh, wow. So I was giving it like, you know, quite loads of time. Um, so when I moved to the uni, I was telling myself I will never ever do any sports again because it was just too much of the efforts and it was just like too much hard work so um when i moved to the uni 
to the uni. Uh, I didn't do any sports for two months, uh, but because I was living with the with the people who were studying sport, uh, and I just start feeling like you know I actually need to. I miss I miss sport. I need to do sport. So um, when I was talking to them, they sort of like brought me into their classes. And uh, I was suddenly studying two unis. Uh, one was around the IT and one was like sport university. So I was mm. doing the sport and the and the IT at the same time. And, Interesting. Uh, yeah, and it was amazing. I just, you know, I just loved every single day. Um, it was like, you know, amazing, like, you know, being early in the morning, doing sports, then go in the afternoon and study study the IT. This sort of balance, you know, was uh, was brilliant. Uh, I, I loved it. And then all these like parties with all these like crazy sport people. Uh, it was just uh, it was just like a different sort of you know community, which I I I just loved. And uh, again, like you know, we're staying all in touch. Uh, you know, it's a great great friendships I have for my whole life with these guys. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that, that was that was pretty much it. And then, like you know, yeah. So, so what did I do? Like you know, when I was at the uni, I obviously needed money. Uh, I'm coming <laughs> from like very uh, humble and uh, not really poor, but uh, definitely like you know, low middle class uh, background. So uh, I I needed you know I needed money, and I didn't want to ask my parents for the money because I knew like you know they didn't they didn't have too much. So uh, I started to looking for a job, and I found a job in an uh, insurance company. Okay. Uh, as a programmer. Oh, okay. Even though you were doing networking. But exactly, exactly. You know, what, I, I, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, exactly. To be fair, like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just kind of like, you know, I guess I need a job. And these guys, yeah. they, like, sort of, like, you know, hired me. They were like, yeah, you know, you can join us. I didn't have too much of the experience with the programming, but they were kind of like, yeah, you're going to be fine. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I joined as a programmer. Um, I wasn't definitely great programmer. I would almost say like, you know, I was very bad programmer. Uh, we, <laughs> at, at that time we were like doing applications. I don't know if you heard about it. It's called Lotus Notes. Yes. Have you heard course. about it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Horrible. It was the pre, pre Microsoft office, office suite. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they use something which is called a uh, Lotus script. Yeah, and yeah, it's just like it's so painful. Like I, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. So, uh, like I, I, I've met, I've met my manager like uh, many years, like few years later. Uh, yeah, when I was like out of that company, and I was just doing like I think I was at Google at that time, and mm-hmm. uh, we had, we went for a beer, and he was telling me you were one of the worst programmers I've had in a team, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm glad you're not a programmer. <laughs> Like I'm glad, like in Google, you're doing all this cool stuff around the infrastructure and, and you know, all this stuff. And I'm glad that, like, you're not, you know, the program was like, eh, fair enough. <laughs> so uh, no. <laughs> yeah, so um, that was that was that was fun. But what uh, what I was doing in there what was changing slowly. Uh, I think it was around the like the summer holidays, 2005. Uh, when I, you know, my manager, he saw that, you know, I've been really into like Linux and the infrastructure and I was helping some guys in the office to build a server for storing the code and all this stuff. And they, they, he really saw, you know, I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, I think I was like a little bit, you know, pushy as well that uh, that's, that's what I want to do. So he managed to get me the, uh, sort of the, uh, internship. Uh, in Prague, in the headquarter of that insurance company, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so my whole summer 2005, I was spending basically in Prague working at the headquarter with uh, amazing, amazing manager uh, who became my mentor. Mentor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he unfortunately passed away uh, oh, three, mo- three okay. months ago. Oh, so okay. uh, yeah, so you know he was the he was very very important person in my life, and he sort of like direct me, you know, where to go in my career because like he saw like you know I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I you know he, we were like you know he was that kind of guy. I remember like when I saw him first time, we went for a lunch, mm-hmm. and uh, he looked really tired, and he was like telling me so so you know, and but he was still really nice, and he was like asking me what I want to do. And I told him, like, look, you know, I'm, I'm doing, like, you know, on, in this, like, service provider, you know, and I really like it. And I love, like, Linux and networking and all this stuff. And it was right. like, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I have some work for you. I can find you something. So he wanted me to, like, install the servers. And I remember at that time, I've never seen, like, you know, like a proper server. It was, like, HP. I don't know what was it. It was, like, you know, Beast. And he just asked yeah. me to install the Linux on it. And I was like, yeah, yeah this this is amazing. Like, <laughs> it was just like simple, like installing Linux on this. It was like for me, I still remember that I saw it. Uh, and then, you know, we started to working together. So he's been, uh, you know, very helpful then afterwards because I've decided in 2007 to move to Iceland uh, and study, okay. stu- study in Iceland. Okay. And uh, that was sort of like for me, break from the IT. Um, I I just felt like, you know, I need to try something new, uh, something like, you know, which is like outside of my comfort zone. Um, so I've decided to go to Iceland. I got the offer from like EU to basically, yeah, to be fair, that, that's when I found out. It was the first time when I found out that the, the community which we've built was probably something like very unique because mm-hmm. they've asked me for like this motivation letter. Yeah. And, you know, and when you're like, 19 years old uh, student you basically need to write like you know they're not expecting you you're going to be like you know you will tell them like you know i've been working on this and that so they, right. just, they just ask you like you know why do you want to go to iceland uh what have you been up to what have you been doing at the uni what have you been right. doing in your life in your past 18 years so right. uh i told them like you know i'm studying to unis i'm studying sport and eit i really do like sport but i really do like it as well we have yeah. this community. We have this. We have this uh, small company uh, in my in my hometown, and I just you know love playing with Linux and all everything around the networking. And that's essentially what I told them. And uh, in a month, you know, I got a letter, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, you're going to Iceland. You know, we're happy to give you the grant. You know, you have you have a big potential. Just go for it." And I was like, mm, "Okay, great. I didn't expect I'm going, but uh, <laughs> fair enough." <laughs> so uh, they basically sent me the letter. It was 2007. I think it was the September. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I basically said to my parents, like, I'm going to Iceland. And they were like, oh, okay. And when are you going? I was like, yeah, I guess like in two weeks. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I remember like, you know, my parents were like, for how long? I was like, yeah, I think like for a year. Uh, and they were like oh okay thanks for <laughs> so, letting us know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly because like i i just sent that letter i don't think like i've even said to my parents to be fair right. maybe i did maybe i didn't i can't remember but yeah. uh you know they were obviously like you no know, thrilled you know they were really happy for me to go so uh you know like we we bought the flight tickets uh that was my first time i was flying so uh it was like everything was like kind of big for me to do 
So, uh, and like I was flying through Frankfurt, via Frankfurt. So like, you know, I was changing the flights. Like at that time for me, it was like, what, what is it like changing flights? Like, you know, how do you change flights? How, how does it <laughs> right. work? Like, you know, right. I mean, do, I mean, do like two flights hook up together. So you just hop exactly. on. Do you yeah. like, you know, hop off on the runway and just yeah, like go exactly. into the next plane? How, how does it like work? Like the president you mean, or the prime it, minister you mean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because that's, what's, that's how it worked in the TV, right? Like that's what it was yeah. in the TV. So uh, exactly. at the time I didn't speak English at all. Like, you know, there was one thing which I found out when I landed in, in Ikeplavik. Like uh, some guy starting to talk to me. Uh, I think it was somebody from customs starting to talk to me in English, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Shit, I don't speak English." Actually, like, you know, how am I? How am I gonna like, you know, right. work this one out? So I had to like, you know, start yeah. like learning how to speak English and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, so oh, Iceland wow. was like wow. was like break. You know, it was like break from the IT, uh, and I kind of yeah. like it. I sort of like accepted it that you know I'm breaking up with the IT for a while and let's see, you know, if right. I will go back. Uh, and uh, then things just went like, you know, super fast. It was 2007. Uh, I was working as a ski instructor uh, in a, in Iceland. Meanwhile, I was studying because I need some extra money. Uh, and sure. uh, it was 2008 when the financial crisis came in. So uh, basically, you know, yeah. from over the night, Iceland was like the hardest hit country in the world so uh which was again like great experience uh you know we suddenly basically everyone lost the money over the night in that country so Mm -hmm. like suddenly like you know you didn't have you didn't have the money to pay the bills and stuff and you were like uh okay what am i doing in here then like you know you lost the job basically (laughs) everything everything crashed you know everything was going so uh i was trying to like figure out what to next and uh then i went to Hull. Uh, to yeah. the UK and uh, studying business. Uh, and again, there was like another year break from the IT. And then when I yeah. was, be- was been finished with the undergraduate, uh, I moved to Birmingham where I was studying the master's uh, and there was IT mm-hmm. stuff uh, where I, right. I sort of said like, I want to go back to IT. So Birmingham was like, you know, starting point for me. I think that's where, when I took like IT more seriously. So uh, after I finished the Birmingham, uh, I went back to check and start working in IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, which was quite interesting. We were like sort of like that war, that war part of the IBM. So we were like professional services part of the IBM. Right. Is that when so that was IBM my... was? So IBM. Sorry to cut you off, but um, yeah, I no think worries, there was no a time. There was a time when IBM was, you know, like mainframes, the enterprise, the big blue sort of stuff. But they quickly transitioned to more of a professional services that was really bringing consulting. Um, is that kind of matches what your yeah. role was at the time? Yeah, exactly. I was like, you know, junior network engineer. Uh, I joined the team, uh, like, you know, where we're CCIEs and really smart people. Uh, yeah. Again, like, you know, my manager at that time, great guy. Uh, we're still in touch. Uh, great friendship with him. Um, so, you know, he was basically, ta- you know, he took me under his wings uh, he, I still remember like interview with him. He was like, "Do you know what is OSPF?" I was like, "Yeah." Uh, and so, what are, you, <laughs> what are you doing outside of the IT? So I told I told him about like you know studying sports and you know yeah the sky ski instructor ski instructor yeah. Yeah, yeah and climbing. And he was like, "Okay, I think I like you. I'm you know you're hired." And I was like, oh, yeah. "Okay, cool." And I, I told, you know we were talking about it a few years later, and he was like. Yeah, I was, I'm never interested, like, you know, in people, like, you know, technical skills. Like, if somebody is, like, so active as you are, 
he can learn that or she can learn that like you know it like everything is changing so quickly you have to learn all the time anyway and if you mm-hmm. don't you know like what's the point so like he was always saying like for me it's way more important somebody who's like hungry to learn and hungry to like do stuff and not just like sitting at home and just like watching the tv so right. uh yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's not you at all man <laughs> i hope somebody's so. sitting at home and, yeah and yeah no. No, no, probably not yeah yeah like yeah. My, my partner would definitely like she would appreciate like a little bit more like staying at home but uh <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not that kind of a person right. uh but yeah, that was my start, you know, in the in the IT in the IBM. It was a great experience working with the big banks uh, right. and big clients. But uh, after a couple of years, well, to be honest, like you know, and uh, I probably never told anyone. But during these during those two years in IBM, I was like basically constantly trying to get into the Google. Mm-hmm. like google at that time i don't know how is it now for like loads of engineers out there but at that time like google in the 2000s end of right. 2000s was like you know that's where you wanted to get like you know these guys oh, yeah. were doing amazing things it was for just sure. brilliant so yeah. uh i've tried to get there <clears throat> yeah how many times like i think i had like a three times or four times i was trying to get there and i almost get there yeah. Uh, I almost like, you know, like, so I remember the first, at the, that was the time in Google when they were doing eight or nine rounds of, of, nine rounds of the interviews, Yeah, which yeah. was insane. I still remember that it was actually before the IBM. That's when I, that's yeah. when I had these interviews. So right. when I had that like summer job in that insurance company, yeah. I was having every week interview with someone over the phone, like right. talking about like, you know, how you fix stuff, like. If the internet doesn't work, what are you going to check first? And all this kind of right. stuff. So right. uh, there was that first time I was trying to, and I failed on the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. I even flew to like uh, Google headquarter in Europe to Dublin, and I had right. interviews in there, but it just didn't work out. Right. But uh, yeah, like you know, it's just it's it's me. Like you know, I was sort of kind of like, you know what? It's great. Like you know, I've made it to the last round. They they right. gave me a flight ticket to fly to freaking Dublin. <laughs> You know, right, like, you right, know, right. I was in the Google offices, you know, they didn't <laughs> hire me, you know, it sucks, but like, yeah. you know, next time maybe it's going to work out. So I applied again yeah. and again. Yeah. And I think when it was like third time or fourth time, uh, they said, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, we're going to hire you. And nice. I still hold that message. The way I applied for the job when I was, uh, when I was that first round, the way I applied, it was over Twitter. Like basically, oh. the the uh, recruiter, he saw me on a Twitter. I tweet something, and he pinged me a message. He was like, "Do you wanna do you wanna like try to apply for this job?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess. You know, it's a network engineering job, so I guess I would." And he was like, "Yeah, so let's go, let's do it. Let's go for it." So you know, right. that was that was the start. So uh, yeah, then I got got hired to to Google. So I've been working Google for quite short amount of time. To be fair, it was mm-hmm. like the shortest stay Mm -hmm. uh how to say it like it it was great experience but it was a little bit disappointing for me oh really Uh, yeah i was i was expecting more i just Mm -hmm. didn't feel like you know i was it was like my fault you know it was me it it wasn't them i just didn't feel like you know i'm I'm growing there and i'm moving anywhere um so uh we sort of like decided you know i will move on and uh I just wanted to find something more exciting. So um, 
that was when I was working in Google, I was working in Frankfurt in Germany. So okay. I, I always wanted to go to London and work in London. So uh, yeah. I just hop on a plane and uh, apply for a few jobs in London. And uh, yeah, I moved to London. Uh, funny thing about the my first stitch in London was that when I arrived in here from Frankfurt for a day, I had set up two interviews. Yeah. In a, in a morning, it was interview with Natalik. Okay. And and in the afternoon, it was a company called CACI. Okay. Uh, I didn't accept the... Uh, both offered me the job. I didn't accept the offer from Natalik. Mm-hmm. And uh, I accepted the offer from CACI. So okay. uh, I was working for two years in CACI. Okay. And uh, which was... Which was, I think, you know, very different VAR than I was working previously in IBM. Um, yeah. I didn't like that kind of a VAR. Um, mm-hmm. It was very sort of the, uh, you know, reselling reselling the resources. So right. like you were deployed on some like you know client side, and you have been just like resource they they were paying for. Uh, yeah. There was it wasn't like a project work. Uh, it was more of the like you know build build material. Uh, that's what it was. So right. uh, I've been there for two years. Great experience. You know, I, I think I learned a lot. It was like working for BT, uh, Vodafone, mm-hmm. Sky, etc. Uh, and uh, then, which was yeah, which I didn't mention when I joined CACI, my manager was uh, some guy called Ian Anderson, uh, and oh, he okay. hired me to to CACI. Okay. And uh, Ian was like, you know, yeah, you know, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be great. You know, you have to join us. And I was like, okay, I'm going to join your team. Uh, and I joined. And two weeks later, he left. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be great. But, you know, I, I, I'm out of here. Exactly. And he left to yeah. Natalik. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> like, I, I declined the offer in Natalik. I, I accept the offer in CACI. And he, yeah, he left. Like, right. It wasn't maybe like yeah. two weeks. Maybe it was like two months. But it was like, you know, very right. short period of time. I remember I was still right. in a probation period when he left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was kind of like, yeah, Ian, thank, thank you, but not thank you. Uh, right. So uh, then he was like trying to poach me for uh, next two years. And I was sure. always saying like, you know, no, I'm not doing it. Like, you know, you, I, I, I went, I followed you You're going to leave again. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to leave again. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and after like two years of like, you know, uh, going for beers and trying to convince me to join them, like uh, I accepted uh, and I joined uh, Natilic. Uh, yeah. And it was it was probably the best decision uh, in my in my career, like ever. Yeah. You know, like Natalik is definitely my longest like uh, stay in any company. Uh, yeah. It's almost five years. Like I would never, never, ever think like I can stay in a company for five years. It's just yeah, too long, I, but it's great. I lo- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I look at the um, yeah. So it's four years and nine months according to LinkedIn, but it's five years, but. It's kind of funny how you mentioned, um, yeah, you know, there are great companies out there like Google or, you know, Amazon, Facebook or Microsoft. Like, they're great companies out there, but they may not for you, right? It's more important about the position. It's about your personal career growth. And also it's about the team that you're working with. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've always wondered about Google as well. And I remember the interview process was really, really intense. And they kind of had their nose up, didn't they? I mean, yeah. I remember 
even after they say, okay, we're going to give you a verb, an offer, but every single offer goes through Sergey Brin's desk. Like, I don't oh, wow. know. Like, are you serious? No, it's, it must be for you too. I don't know if the recruiter told you, but they were like, this is how it's going to be. And I'm like, well, Sergey, as busy as of a guy he is, do you think he has like the time for this? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you know, this is how we do it. We're, we're Googlers, right? We're Googlers. <laughs> yeah. And so I like, pump in the chest. And then so a week and a half later, they, they offer. So, but I, I didn't end up going, but it's kind of, it's just kind of intense. And then after, after I declined the offer, I, I think they almost feel offended. Like mm -hmm. we're Google, yeah. how dare you, you know, Not declining our offer. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's just kind of funny that how you worked out and I'm glad you, you know, you were uh, confident enough in your own knowledge of yourself to say, well, it's a great company and I enjoy all the free drinks and the, uh, you know, the juice bars and the, the massages. And, and to be you know, fair, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't like, you know, I, yeah, I, oh, okay. I always appreciate it. Like, you know, having yeah. these kind of like snack bars and stuff, but you can't imagine how big relief it was for me not being around like, you know, uh, snack bars and all this stuff because <laughs> you just like, you just can't help yourself. Right. Like you're just like yeah. always walking around just eating <laughs> that, like, you know, sweet, yeah, I was. I was like, I, when when I left, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm glad I'm not gonna have to like walk around it and just like trying to resist. Uh, yeah. Well, we sort of like a little bit have it in Natalik now, but like not in such a scale. So uh, it was yeah. it was great. Like you know, I don't I don't want to complain about the Google. It was just you know, it was a great experience, and it was almost like you know, being in your late twenties and you're like, okay, so I achieved where I always wanted to do. Like I've made it right. to Google. And I want to right. leave. So what am I going to do now? Like, you know, what is the like, <laughs> next big thing I want to do right. with my career? And it's like weird to like asking these kind of questions when you're like at the end of your 20s. You know, it's kind of like, you know, kind of like, I'm just, no, I'm but just like 29. It, it's not just the time, right? <laughs> it's the amount of experience that you've had. And, uh, but, but again, I think it's important to point out that it's more important about your own career growth. Um, and I mean, Yes, there may be more opportunities to grow at big companies, but you also need to find where your passion is. And just from um, what you've told me so far, it's like, you know, you've done so much that you're you're aware of these kind of stuff. But for somebody who uh, who may not have done as much or who may not have experience or had as much exposure, they may be like, okay, what if I give up this great opportunity or, you know, give up seniorities or um, but no, it's, it's great to hear that story about how you decided that it's not for you. And then you went to, you know, you go pursue some other path. And, uh, now, now that you've ended up at, uh, Natalie, which is a, what I would consider a high profile bar, but can you just tell us a little bit about, um, now you, you got there and, um, what do you like, what do you guys do? And uh, it's been five years. You must have had several different transitions and, uh, interesting projects. So, Tell us a little bit about working for a VAR uh, such as Natalie. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, we're so so we have the offices in uh, in London, in Sydney, mm -hmm. uh, and in New York. Uh, so we're a global company. Uh, we have this uh, sort of the you know motto or mission, which is confident guide. Uh, okay. Which which says a lot. I think it's like sort of like embedded in everything we were doing and how we are thinking. 
uh, it's like, you know, every single day I'm not hearing someone or me mentioning like, you know, the confident guide uh, bit. Um, what it means is basically we're trying to be different VAR. Uh, I'm not saying like, you know, they're good and bad VARs. Uh, well, they, they, they are. There are you know, out there. There are. <laughs> I, I would agree. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there are. But like not. Sure, so sure. they're so, good and bad wars. <laughs> yeah, the good and bad wars. So like you know, they're obviously like you know good and bad wars. Wars in the in the, in the UK and the Europe in general. Uh, right. And there are like wars who are doing things uh, the way which fits to their clients. So like you know, there are wars who are like purely transactional. Which is fine, you know. For some for some companies, it works because they have the, you know highly skilled people, and uh, they just need to buy like you know cheap hardware or like right. services or software from someone uh, because you know that's how the vendors nowadays works. Like you can't really proceed the licenses and stuff like directly. You need like you know partner for this. So which is fine, but that's not what we're trying to do. Uh, when I joined. Our focus was on the small and medium-sized uh, companies in the UK, mm-hmm. headquartered right. in the UK. So, right. uh, you know, it didn't have to be necessarily, you know, uh, we would be targeting everyone from the UK, but at least they, you know, based in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that sort of like grew into like focusing on the larger companies nowadays. But back to where we were, like when I joined, when I joined Natalik almost five years ago, we were still like heavily collaboration company um so we had this strong like cisco relationship and we were doing loads of collaboration in contact centers but we didn't really have any enterprise or data center practice at that time uh if i remember right like there was just me ian who was my manager uh one architect uh and uh i think two engineers or one engineer i can't recall okay yeah so like you know very small very small team uh and uh we start sort of, you know, starting to building that practice. So what I've been asked is to focus on the strategy, like, you know, what we should be doing in the enterprise and the data centers. And at that time, it was like massive task for me. Like, you know, I was kind of like, you know, Ian, why do you want me to do it? Like, you know, like I was an engineer. I was like doing like all this architecture. Like, do you think, you know, I'm the right guy for this? And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, he always insisted I am. So what he was basically trying to do is like, you know, being focused on like people management and, and the numbers. And I was always like out there and trying to like, you know, find the new vendors and, and new like cool stuff and uh, helping us grow uh, in terms of the enterprise and the, and the data centers. And the reason for that was that we wanted to be that better partner to our clients. You know, we wanted to really add that value to like what we're doing, what we're delivering. So it wasn't just about you know, like, you know, uh preceding the hardware uh but it was also loads of services which we wanted to provide uh you know for instance like deploying the data centers and stuff you know it was uh it was always very very important for us to to add the value uh to it so uh you know that was that that was something which we were always trying to do and then like you know adding the new services so we added like managed service on top of it so uh, that's where we like focusing right now, you know, how we can add the value and like how we can innovate in the managed services uh, fields uh, and the and the 24-7 support uh, 365s uh, for, for mm-hmm. all of our clients. So, you know, that's that that's that's what we like, you know, for us, it's important that relationship. Yeah. Like we want to make sure that the relationship with a client works and it's strong. And 
uh, there has been many occasions which I've seen uh, in those five years where we've been, for instance, you know, get get some leads from like you know Cisco or from other clients to help like you know this this kind of a client, and it was apparent from the first meeting where the client said like you know we're not interested in like you know guys like you know giving us any advices. We just want to have these kind of like you know quite loads of hardware, so it would be loads of money for us. And mm-hmm. uh, we said no, you know, like you know, this is not going to work. This is not what we want to do. Even though obviously we're like you know we're saying we don't want that money which are on the table. We don't want that, which kind of you know, especially in the city, sounds kind of stupid. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's what we did. And I think you know there was sort of like you know great example about you know, us doing things a little bit more differently for us was more always more important to having that long-term relationship so we knew that if they you know we had a, we have a lots of clients uh where we really started with them like you know they were small they were almost size of our size so at that time when i joined we were like 50 people or something like that uh, mm-hmm. and now like you know for instance one of our clients they work in r&d they started maybe when we started working with them, they were maybe like hundred people. Now they are globally like thousands of people, you know, so mm-hmm. they went like a free massive growth and you right. are still keeping this like strong, like relationship with them. And you're like yeah. sort of on this journey with them. And right. uh, that's, that's what I really do like about Nazi Lake. Like, you know, you're staying in a good and bad with your, with your clients uh, and you help them to grow. Uh, you were like, you know, facing the challenges together and maybe you're not going to make the money too much money, like on the first sort of the, you know, session and first project with them. But if you choose the right, you know, clients and they are built, you know, they build a strong relationship with you, they will definitely spend, you know, overall like way more money than if you would do this kind of like a one-off, you know, uh, deal with some like large, large bank or large financial company. So, uh, yeah. yeah. That's what we do. That's what we're trying that's, to do differently. That's uh, that's very interesting. So you're redefining. So it's value added reseller, but you're trying to redefine what that value is. So some people put that value as being, you know, dollars and cents. But it sounded like you guys were trying to put the value more in the relationship, the long term growth, picking the the right client, as you as you mentioned, right? Like people who want to grow with you. Exactly. Um, because. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's what we're, for instance, doing, you know, just to give you an example, like, you know, we sure. are like, for instance, doing regular uh, strategic meetings with our clients. Like, you know, we're sitting in the room with a client, with their team of like architects and CTOs, etc. And just discussing, you know, their strategy, they're opened, you know, they're sort of kind of like sharing their plans for, let's say, next financial year. And right. they want us to provide them the inputs, like, you know, how do you think this is going to work, you know, and do you think we should do something like differently? And, yeah. you know, so, you know, many times they don't listen to us, which is fine. But, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like that's sort of the opportunity, like, you know, we're in the room with them and they right. like at least like, you know, they want to listen to us. That's yeah. a that's that's, you know, that, that's a big sort of that's a big thing, you know, for me personally, definitely. And it's something which I didn't see a lot. Uh, with the with the different bars uh, I've been working before, and I don't think like you know it's very common like from what I hear from other people in a different uh, you know companies here in the UK, it's definitely not something which is standard uh, for these companies as well. So how, I'm sure they they would take your input. Uh, they may or may not 
you know, because they have other considerations and, and all that, but they may or may not follow it, but they definitely value um, you guys' input. So as a, um, so it sounded like you pivoted and yourself, you know, going from collaboration to data center and uh, branching into other areas. So how do you prepare yourself uh, besides always constantly learning, how do you prepare yourself uh, to, to work for a VAR? For example, you know, it's, I'm sure it's different than, you know, having your own business or uh, being a ski instructor or <laughs> working for Google, right? So what's unique about working for a VAR such as Netlink or VAR in general? So, uh, so for my specific position, being, yeah. being a principal architect or being the architect, it's like our architects... Uh, should be with the engineering background. Okay. So, like, you know, we want people with the technical background. So, I, me personally, I don't think it's a great start for your career uh, being the solution architect. I think you should have some sort of, you know, knowledge and experience. Even though, like, you know, we have the one exception. We have the, like, you know, guy who joined us, like, when he was, like, his early 20s. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, great guy, like really like, you know, uh, hungry and, and like, you know, funny, uh, it's just great guy. And he moved like from this like system engineer role where he was like helping building bombs and doing like very junior work into like solution architect role quite recently. Right. So we're now like making sure he's really like, you know, like, you know, he's upskilling and he's like, you know, really growing and he does. So He's the exception, but in my opinion, you know, social architect, the key is to having some sort of the experience being an engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, for us specifically in Natalik is the pre-sales skills. So I see you, you have to be able to sell stuff like, you know, like if you, if you can't sell me yourself when we're doing interview, it's nothing personal, like, you know, but like, you're probably not like, you know, right for the job. Like, you know, if you right. can't like communicate, if you can't like, you know, upsell yourself in front of me, it's not going to probably work very well in front of the client. Uh, and right. we're like, you know, we're London, you know, so like in London, like you need to not being aggressive, not, not that all, but like, you know, you need to be able to, to like sell yourself and sell nuts a lake. Uh, because like, you know, if you can't sell yourself, you can't sell the nuts a lake. And if you can't sell the nuts a lake, you can't really sell any solutions, you know, which we, which we have. Um, so, uh, or at least like, you know, not, in in Natalik, I think you know. I'm pretty sure that there are some bars we are basically approached by the client. This is what we want. Yeah, and sell it to us. Uh, this is not how we work. Uh, we usually yeah. like you know trying to explain the client like you know what are you what are the benefits of these specific technologies. So sure. I think you know these kind of like communication skills, sales skills, and the engineering skills are very important. That's why we right. can't never find any solution architects. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're just like too, too demanding. Uh, and, uh, we're just like, you know, but like when we do, we have like, you know, great, great solution architects. So like, you know, the team we have now is just amazing. You know, they're like grand, great bunch of guys. Uh, they really, you know, stick around, have each other's backs. Uh, right. And they they're hungry as well, so like you know they really want to learn the new stuff. So I'm always that like crazy guy who's like running around and trying to find <laughs> new cool stuff, and you yeah. know trying to like you know make that buzz in the company. Like you know when everyone like like sleepy and they're like, yeah, this works. Like you know we're doing Cisco and it works and we're selling it and we're making money and we're growing. 
And I'm trying to tell them like, no, 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 you know, this is, this is not, you know, we, we just can't like, you know, stay still. We just have to like look for something new where we need to grow. Uh, so like, you know, I appreciate these guys. They sort of like accept, you know, this kind of a madness, madness I'm, I'm bringing to, <laughs> to, to the team and to the company. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great, and you know, I, I think like what specifically Ian Anderson did, I, I, I didn't do it, but Ian as a people manager, just bring that sort of the like calmness, uh, and, uh, he's, he's, he's the coach. Like he's the, he's the greatest coach I've ever seen. He's just able to build, you know, team of like different people. So it makes sense. Uh, right. I've never seen anything like that. Like, you know, he's basically like, you know, he's really like, you know, basketball or football coach who's like hiring like different people from around the Europe. And he just mm-hmm. feels like, you know, this guy will really fit in there. What do you think? Right. Um, right. So, um, yeah, it's like, you know, and, and, and the leadership is just, is just brilliant. You know, they giving us the freedom, but it's probably like a different topic. It's, I think like, <laughs> you know, these kind of skills are, in my opinion, like, you know, very important being hungry, yeah. being right. able to sell yourself, uh, and therefore like, you know, selling the products, uh, right. and, uh, being technical. Right. I mean, it's funny you mentioned, so you, you know, you mentioned you, you study business at one point. And so that probably come in handy as far as speaking the same language, you know, when somebody talking about, you know, shareholder value, it's not a surprise to you versus some other engineer may be like, oh, you know what? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's it's back to that funny story about, you know, how do you sell me this pen, right? It's oh, yeah. A pen. yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a writing machine. It's a, uh, it's a, it's an instrument that you could sign your million dollar contract with. And, you know, it's, it's how you express yourself to the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure all of us heard about that story. And I, I got this, the same bit of advice when I was, uh, transitioning from the pure engineering role into a SE role, because, mm-hmm. uh, you're very much chasing that quota and it's every quarter you have to have a strong heart. You have to be able to take rejections. Like you said, right? Like you might be sitting with the client and they just kind of, you know, brush you off. You've been preparing this presentation for weeks. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is, this is what it's about. You know, you're, you do the best you can. You, you still try to, yes, it's not all about the money, but money is super important too, right? It's what pays the bill and it's yeah. what sustains the operation. You know, uh, nobody said, you know, you live to breathe, but without breathing, you can't really live. So it's almost yeah. like that. So you need money to sustain, but the purpose of your VAR is not to get money. Um, and so I don't know, I don't even know if that makes sense, but but yeah, I, I hear you. No, completely. I think it does. I think I, I think it does. And you know, it's about the culture. Like you know, our our CEO. What is he saying? I always love like you know when he's saying it. Uh, culture eats strategy for the breakfast. <laughs> nice. And I always I like, like it. Yeah, yeah. I think you know somebody said it, and he's like you know using it as well. Uh, but it's like you know it's a great saying. And I really like it. And uh, that's one important not to, you know think about the Natalie the culture. It's uh, it's just you know very important, and I think that made the whole difference about like you know where we are, uh, and what we're doing, and yeah. you know why we why we are like you know so successful. I think, or so I would hope. So how would successful. you? <laughs> no, you you <laughs> definitely are right. Branch offices and a number of employees, uh, different continents. But how would you? So obviously you've worked in various locations, and you work with you know uh, different VARs how would you what recommendation would you give someone who's looking into 
working for a bar. So obviously you mentioned all the qualities, you know, technical background, work from your ground up, uh, don't start as a solution architect and, you know, learn your business skills. But how, how would you tell, like, let's just say somebody in your shoe, like five years ago, you were interviewing or maybe even a little bit longer, right? When you had interviewed for both bars and you want to make a decision, knowing what you know now, how would you, what are the characteristics you would look for or to avoid, you know, uh, making a detour to a quote unquote bad VAR. Yeah. So for me, I think like, you know, when, when I said like, you know, there has been some bad VARs in my career, like it was never that bad that I had to leave, like, you know, next month. Uh, sure. you know, I was, I was staying in C- CACI, which wasn't ideal VAR, but it was okay. You know, it mm-hmm. was okay work. I think mm-hmm. what I didn't like personally, and maybe some people like, you know, will like it. I don't know was that sort of the when they selling you as a as a resource basically that's that's you know i think what i much more prefer and what we're trying to do or what we're doing in general in natalik is that we are uh selling engineers uh as a part of the project so they're doing the project work so they're like you know like clear sort of the criteria like you know what you would be doing and what you will be delivering and then you're done with the project and you're moving on so that's for yeah. the engineering, you know, for the for the pre-sales, I would be probably interested about like, you know, like where like what what we're doing, what what is the mission? Mm-hmm. How are we trying to be different from the other bars? Because that's mm-hmm. for me, you know, it's like, you know, it's quite important. Like, you know, if I will be joining a company who's just trying to be the average uh bar, I will yeah. be average architect or I will be average engineer. And you know, you don't have really so the motivation to get better and to improve and to grow. So that's that that's that's what I would check, you know, probably like, you know, what is the what is the mission of the of the VAR and like, you know, what are the relationships with the vendors? Um what I found out, like lots of our clients really do like when we are bringing the vendors into the room. Mm-hmm. Uh and we like it as well. Uh what we don't like is when the conversation is driven by the vendors. You know, mm-hmm. we we know vendors are important. You know, like vendors are making all this great stuff and all these great technologies, but yeah. they are not neutral. Uh, and that's what we're trying to be in that room. Like we're trying to sit, you know, between the vendor and the client and yeah. uh, creating some sort of a filter. Uh, and uh, that goes into the into the relationship with the vendors. Like our obviously main priority is the relationship with the clients. But yeah. also, like, you know, very important for us is to have that relationship with the vendors as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's one of my, like, responsibilities in, in Nazi Lake to make sure, like, you know, the vendors are happy and they understand what we're doing. You know, where are we going? What is our strategy? Is it in line in what they're doing? And, you know, if not, why is it so? Is it because we missing something? Like, you know, we yeah. didn't get it. Or does it mean like, you know, something is going on and this relationship doesn't work and you're looking for someone else? Uh, all these all these kind of things are important as well for the relationship because if you have a good relationship with the, with the vendor, you can fix loads of things. You know, there will be always an issues uh, like with, a, with, with, with the products you're selling. And, uh, you know, closer relationship with the vendors you have, quicker you can solve them. Uh, or like, you know, less painful it is for the client and, you know, less painful for the client means the client is more happy uh, and right. they want to stay with you. Uh, and it's also important for me, you know, when I'm responsible for the strategy, the whole, in the whole group around the data centers and the DevOps to understand when the vendor is going, 
it is it is essential like you know if i if i want to look at the market where is it going i need to understand you know where the vendors are going and what is going on in the in the whole industry and uh, yeah. if you don't have that relationship obviously vendors not going to share anything they will be kind of like yeah you know just go on the internet and just like read what we're doing and that's it uh, <laughs> they sent you a link yeah exactly but if you have that relationship you know uh they they are much more open with you uh and it just helps in so many ways so i think for the bar like it's almost the same important having the strong relationships with the vendors uh as the, with the clients yeah one thing which i probably didn't say about natalik is they're very picky about the vendors mm. we are not one of those vendors who's like you know having hundreds of like partners uh technology partners you know like and we're delivering you know hundreds of different vendors we are like you know cisco heavily focused but -hmm. since we're growing like you know we're adding new vendors on our way uh but what we're trying to always do is that there is like minimum overlap with uh between the vendors yeah because that upset vendors like you know if you suddenly like you know go to other vendors you're like (laughs) what are you doing guys like you know i thought we were friends (laughs) And it looks yeah, like we're right. not friends. So uh, back to that relationship thing. Yeah, exactly. Back into that relationship, and you're like constantly talking to the vendors and explaining them, like you know, uh, right now in the last two months we're onboarding HashiCorp, uh, okay, which is like super exciting. You know, like a great okay. company and amazing. Yeah. You know, I'm really looking forward to work with them. Uh, yeah. And it was like you know, not like explaining, but like you know, we we sort of like you know, I explained to Cisco and to Pure Storage who we partner with. Uh, and you know other vendors which we have, I explained them sort of kind of like you know look this is why we're doing it, uh, or like the same thing was like you know few few years back with the VMware, like Cisco mm-hmm. was kind of like why are you onboarding VMware and we were like you know hold on like you know it's not because like we're stopping selling Cisco it is because right. we need like you know some other areas fill in with their product so there will be no overlap so and that's important because then these you know vendors understand and they accept it and you know they right. they they're helpful as well so um yeah i think the vendor relationships are important for the bar uh and you know if i would be joining any bar i would like to know like you know what is the how the relationship works you know and and the trainings um like we are great in terms of training our people like we're yeah. giving people like you know time to study etc um so uh i would probably check that before i would be joining and then the career path i think like you know where where are where am i going like me personally in this company like you know where i can where i can go how far i can go what will be my responsibility you know is it going to be growing in terms of where i will be responsible for for this division of the company um that's what i would be interested as well yeah that's all of these are great points, right? Because nobody, when you're in, especially when you're interviewing, you're 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 at a disadvantage to begin with, right? The the power balance is not in your favor. You're asking for a job, and they're you know there to give you an offer. The dynamic changes after you get the offer, but you know, yeah, in the yeah. beginning, and when you're interviewing, nobody's going to tell you like we're you know we're all about billable hours, right? Like, and we're we have a thousand you know partners that we have on the back end, just look at our logo wall, wall right? But yeah. um, but these are all great points that you could subjectively ask during your interview and to kind of um, to kind of get a feeling of everything that you talked about. You know, nobody's going to say, we don't care about our people, 
but if their budget for um for, if their budget for training was equivalent to you know lunch dollars then it's probably a sign <laughs> and, yeah and not yeah. a very good one so um so i appreciate that i think those are very important and valuable advices if uh, for people either looking for a career change or just you know out of the uni and trying to get get a job to begin with so i appreciate yeah. that um so I want to talk to you a little bit about, I know we're, we're running out of time, but in such a fun conversation, but I want to talk it's, to you it's, about- It's fine. We can, we, can, we can overrun. So it's, it's, it's not a problem, mate. Okay, great. So you know, I want to talk to you about network automation. So um, I know you guys are uh, huge on it. You've been speaking at, you've, you've spoken at various you know, conferences on stages. Um, and I think Ian is actually speaking at this year's DevNet Create. Um, so, so what are your thoughts? What are your, um, you know, just visions and how, how did you get to be such a early, you know, uh, cheerleader for this, this thing that Cisco is doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I, I don't know, like, you know, we're like, it's probably, you know, it's, with me, it started even before I joined Natalik, you know, I was always into like, you know, because I was, I've been working with the Linux a lot before, and I knew like, you know, about the automation before. And right. uh, I, I remember I was playing with the Ansible and stuff uh, pre Natalik, but, yeah. uh, at, you know, that company didn't really, you know, appreciated i think you know we were just different kind of a company they didn't look at it like you know i i thought like you know we should be looking at it but in natalik i think what has changed really there was that sort of the meeting with Stuart. like i still mm -hmm. remember it like you know when when we met with Stu, uh it was in amsterdam uh it was in some like cisco conference which which has been there uh and uh we had a chat you know and uh we were talking about like ansible and the automation, and uh, I didn't know too much at that time. Stuart definitely knew way more, and he still knows way more than I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he does. He's a, he's a, he's a smartest. Uh, sure. But, uh, yeah, but uh, Stuart, like you know, we basically like took off. Like you know, we had a discussion in Amsterdam, and uh, in the meantime, yeah, actually, that was like when it started in Natalik. Uh, I think a few weeks later, me. And uh, one of my friends and the ex-colleagues uh, from the previous company, uh, Chila, we've mm -hmm. organized first network automation London meetup, uh, which was, you know, sort of the, like, you know, first event, uh, this sort of stuff uh, in, uh, in London. Right. And we've done it in our Natalik offices. So we have still somewhere the pictures, you know, it was like totally cramped with like people. I think it was like, 60 70 people like some people say like you know since them no you know there, there was like no never ever like more people than it was like on that night uh, <laughs> and it was great like you know and I they're remember, not there for the, for the taco or anything like that they were there for the talk yeah there, there was like there was some some other events like i remember like the other ones like you know like homeless guy go, going into our office just, <laughs> like pretending like you know he's an engineer so uh we, sure. gave, we gave him some food we didn't we didn't kick him out we just like let him in there uh, he was sure. like listening. Maybe he's an engineer now. I don't know. You know, maybe yeah, it inspired him. You never know, right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Maybe it changed, changed, his, changed his life. Uh, right. So like, you know, this first session was great. And uh, Stuart has been in that session as well. And uh, he really liked, you know, what, like how it was in our office and what we've been doing and, you know, what we've been talking. At that time, we didn't really do too much in Natalik. Um, I was trying to like, you know, sort of, 
I remember first project where I wanted to, I wanted sales and a process look at it like a little bit different was project where we were deploying like Meraki for, I think 200 sites globally or something. It was like one of the largest deals we've been doing at that time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I told them like, look, we can automate it. Like it has the APIs. I don't know how it works, but I guess like, you know, we can make it work somehow. And, uh, you know, people had questions like, you know, okay, so we're not going to be charging like, you know, like multiply by 150 sites. We can actually do it like, you know, in less time. And I was telling yeah. them, yeah, 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 we can do it. And uh, that's when the automation started to taking off all these kind of like events and projects. Uh, and then I think the biggest sort of the accelerator was the DevNet Express, uh, okay. which we organized in our office uh, with Stuart and his team in London. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that was big. Like uh, it wasn't big like the network automation meetup. This was big because we were able to invite I don't know like fifty clients or forty clients into the office, and they were sitting with us for two days, uh, and uh, they just like really appreciated. Uh, we were giving lots of time to them to learn the new skills, and uh, that's 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 when it started. And we you know I've been basically starting to from there. Uh, starting to explore like you know what we can do around the automation so how we can leverage it like in terms of the automation like for deploying the uh, projects yeah so how we can speed up like deploying the projects how we can like start offering it as a product you know how we can help our clients with the automation uh, and uh, yeah and one one maybe like parallel line was also our CTO uh, Adam Bonney so uh, at that time he was starting to like exploring like how we can leverage maybe Terraform internally. Yeah. So he started using yeah. Terraform, uh, and it's just like all these things like starting to coming together. So uh, you know, then it was like the DevNet Create where we've met. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking in some like other conferences as well, and it had a really good traction. Uh, the beginnings were always kind of like more, I think, like marketingy. Uh, you know, it helped us to raise the profile to explain the clients like you know like you know we're like you know more interesting partner with var than like the other vars sure. uh, so it more like helped from the marketing perspective but sure. i think it, it is starting to change in the last year or less than two years uh things are starting to changing that we are starting to really uh basically monetizing it you know we're like really starting to selling the automation as a product uh Either it's like services, or we have this kind of like Natalik infrastructure as a code as a product, which is built on the Terraform, and we are like providing loads of stuff around it, like modules, etc. So there's like you know loads of Natalik IP embedded in it, uh, and we're delivering it to the clients. Uh, it's it's a loads of stuff you know we're doing now around the automation, and it's really like starting to picking up for in, in the last year where it's not just about the talking, but it's actually about like, you know, us delivering, you know, projects and delivering stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I, um, I really appreciate the transparency, right? Like what you said before, it's like this, um, I don't want to say hype curve, but there's certainly a growth curve, right? Initially, it was more about marketing, uh, higher profile, differentiating yourself. But now it's gradually infiltrating into other parts of the company and you're actually adding your own IP and making it more sticky as far as, uh, you know, uh, the value that you add to the to the to your client. But also goes back to what you were saying on your mission that you guys had that trust relationship 
And because your mission was always about uh, longer term engagement, you're willing to uh, you know, front load the cost of hosting the event, front load the cost of you know, going through the training, not knowing if that's going to pay off at the end. But you know, if you look at it in a, a long run, that's going to pay off. And so I just, just you know, all of these kind of tie in together where you're making an upfront investment, differentiating yourself. Now you're, you're reaping the benefits of you know, that deeper engagement. And I imagine, you know, your client would trust you more and, you know, this worked out. And so that relationship is uh, even deepened. So, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That was, that was, that was a spot on. And I think, you know, that goes again into that culture thing in the company. Yeah. You know, like I've been basically given the freedom to like, you know, test stuff and try stuff. And yeah. that's what I've been doing with the automation. And, you know, there's been like some successes, some less successes, uh and uh you know i think now we're starting to seeing you know first sort of the like fruits which are like you know coming you know from 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 these kind of like engagements which at the time they could feel like you know they didn't really bring any money but i think now they're starting to like you know bringing first sort of the successes and first first things into into our business yeah that's great i i like all everything that that entails and and i kind of i think that's a good um good summarization of everything we talked about as far as your career right you're always so i think even though you didn't say it but it always uh it goes back into kind of this growth mindset you always believe something could be changed if you just put in enough time uh you you know do your deliberate practice like you know you're always stretching even though when you were ibm you're stretching to say you know what about google what about, uh, you know, some other areas that I may be interested in? So, so that's awesome. And then, you know, we'll bring it back into uh, your experience at the VAR, your, your meta, uh, your meta skill sets, your meta, uh, like communication, business skills and all of that. So, uh, so that's great. So, you know, I feel like we could continue on for maybe another hour and a half, but unfortunately I think, uh, you know, the, our listeners earbuds might hurt a little if we go on <laughs> for another hour and a half, but, um, but I want to thank you for being on the show, but, you know, uh, before we say goodbye, is there any, uh, if people want to look for you on Twitter, on LinkedIn or any other social media, like what's the best way to kind of, uh, share, uh, your content? Where do you broadcast most of your message nowadays? Uh, probably LinkedIn to be fair, but like, I'm trying to like, you know, minimize my sort of the social media, uh, sort of the time. So like, yeah. you know, I, I, I have a Twitter as well, which I'm like, you know, I'm using from time to time, sure. but I'm, I'm sort of like trying to minimize the time I'm, I'm using the, uh, the social media. So like LinkedIn is great. I'm monitoring it. So if anyone like, you know, would like to talk to me or like, you know, getting in touch with me, just add me on okay. LinkedIn uh or like you know on the twitter i'm monitoring the twitter as well uh so you know we can we can definitely chat in there uh or like you know uh what am i what am i using yeah i'm to, to, to be to be fair like you know it's, it's the slack uh i'm using for like you know talking to various people is the is the webex teams which i'm using like internally and is the email that's that's usually like you know these free channels. I'm I'm kind of like old school feel. You know, I feel a little <laughs> bit old school. Like uh, I, I lo- like you know I don't have too much against the social media and stuff. I just yeah. try to like minimize it because uh, it's just like a rabbit hole always. Like you know when you like start looking for something, it's just 
it's going deeper and deeper and deeper and you suddenly like you in it for an hour and you're like oh damn it like you know i could do something <laughs> like something better for one hour than just like you know going down the street yeah no i, I definitely hear you so for me you know i kind of cut down facebook nowadays and just focus on linkedin and twitter but even then it's like um yeah it's like you said it's a rabbit hole but yeah uh, you know so we'll, we'll we'll provide the links for those but just keep in mind that you know may not check opt-in but you know matthias does does keep up to date with those um as as to the best he could yeah so yeah definitely before we say goodbye any call to action for young engineers who try to look for a job in in, in var or network engineering or network automation like well what any call to action I always say like stay hungry. That's that's all I'm saying. Like just like you know, you just like you know, don't sit at home and just like you know, what do, do the Twitter and stuff. Just like you know, <laughs> open the books, read some stuff, uh, go on the internet, read some like documentations. Just like you know, there's like that's the beautiful thing. There's just like right now, I think we're living in really exciting times in EIT. Uh, like you know, what is going on around the DevOps and the automation and stuff. I don't think that's something which will repeat itself like, you know, in the next 10 years or like 15 years, you know, I think this mm -hmm. is like very unique time. So it's like very exciting time to be alive and to be in the industry. So uh, yeah, just, just be hungry, stay hungry, just learn like, you know, as much as you can. Yeah. I think that's why we, um, that's why we click so well, you know, because that's actually what I engrave on my first ever, uh, iPod mini on the back is just what, you know, Steve's, Steve Jobs quote, you know, stay hungry, uh, uh, stay, stay hungry. So. All um, right. I didn't even know yeah. like, he said it. Like I, I like Steve Jobs, but I didn't even say like, you know, Steve, Steve, Steve Jobs actually said it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, well, I don't know. That's where I heard it from. So right. Um, I, I'll, I'll attribute to him until we, we find out either way. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> not, 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 you know, it's not something which I, you know, I probably heard it somewhere as well. Uh, but, yeah. uh, I, I like it, you know, uh, like sometimes I'm hungry, literally, like most of the time I'm hungry, literally, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I love, I love to learn as well. Yeah. So I think, I think the full thing was stay hungry, stay foolish. And right. that may have been from his, uh, Stanford University commencement right. speech. Um, but you know, and I would, I'll actually put a link down there. So if you haven't seen that, I think, I think it's, I think it's the only one, it could be one of the few or the only one that he's ever given. And if you read his, you know, biography by, uh, Sir Isaac, then, uh, you know, you will probably know that like the backstory for that, but it, it's, it's outside of the context, but I'll definitely put a link down and recommend it. And, and you also heard it from Matthias about, you know, bias reaction, stay hungry. So uh, thanks. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Matthias. It's, it's been such a pleasure, um, you know, ever since we met in person 2019, you know, I uh, always grab any chance that I could to talk to you. So this provides a great excuse just to talk to you for another 90 minutes. So, so that's great. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eric, as well. And uh, yeah, great talk to you. And I hope, you know, we will see each other in person very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to the Network Automation Nerds podcast today. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. Until next time, bye-bye.